0: This morning, we are going to be dealing, we're in part two of a series on miracles. And so what we're doing is we're marching through the book, the Gospel of John. So if you want to join us this month, as we're kind of dealing in this, this series, read the Gospel of John. We're going to be going through the seven signs that God, the Gospel of John gives us about who Jesus is and his miracles. And we're on the second sign this morning. And these signs are Awesome. But they're not the point. They point us to Jesus more than just a prophet or a teacher or even a miracle worker, but as Jesus, the Son of God. And so this morning, we are going to look at the second sign in John chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first three verses, and then I'm going to jump down to to verse 43, and then then this will give our, our story, but I think it gives us some context for some points I want to bring out this morning. So here we are, John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Jesus travels through Samaria. If you're familiar with this chapter, he does the the woman at the well. He gives a word of knowledge about her marital status. He answers some questions she has. She gets radically saved. She believes, and she runs into the city, brings out the city, and, and there's a move of God in Samaria. And we pick up in verse 43, after the two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone up to the feast. So when he came up again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water, wine, and at at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second son, second sign that Jesus did while he came from Judea to Galilee. Now, here's the story of Jesus going and healing of an official son from a distance with a word, the official hearing that, going home and finding out that it happened, and then him believing. And we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at the process of this miracle. The process. But first I want to look at the power of miracles. The power of miracles. Miracles help us believe. In fact, you can say that miracles are necessary for some of us to believe. Here's Jesus' quote. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. When you read this in context, like James was reading from the CSV version this morning. I'm going to read from the CSV morning, the morning. The contemporary southern version. Okay, and this is what that would say, unless y'all believe, unless y'all see signs and wonders, a so plural you, if you look at the footnotes. Or if the Yankee version, unless you guys see the signs and wonders, you guys will not believe. Okay, it's it's a it's a teaching for y'all, all of us, and he's he's teaching us. Now, what is he saying? Jesus is teaching the crowd, guys, miracles help you believe. Miracles help you believe. They're, in fact, necessary. And if you read kind of the tone of the passage, he he sounds regretful, doesn't he? Unless, Unless you guys see miracles, you won't believe. And then he does the miracle. Why? Because Jesus meets us in our weak state. Think about that. Jesus sees that you're weak. You need, Guys, if you would just believe, you'll be saved. But he said, you can't believe unless you see signs and wonders. Here's a sign and wonder. Now, he doesn't do that all the time. In fact, some come to him and say, give us a sign, Jesus. And he goes, no sign will be given you but the sign of Jonah. So he's not just saying, he's not peddling signs for belief, but he is saying, unless you see them, some of you won't believe. And what I love about this is that this should encourage us because God is meeting us in our unbelief to give us belief. God's faithful with us. Even this picture of Jesus leaving Judea, if you'll you'll read through the details of this passage, it says, when the official heard that he had left Judea and gone to Galilee, he went to him, a 20-mile journey. What does that mean? That means if Jesus stays in Judea, this son dies. You get that? If Jesus stays in Judea, this son dies. Jesus goes all the way to Galilee. What a picture. If Jesus stays in heaven, we die in our sin. But Jesus goes all the way to the earth, right? He steps into the, to his creation in bodily form. Now, there's still a journey. There's still an act of faith this man has to perform for him to believe and his son to be healed but Jesus goes all the way to Galilee so that we might be healed i love this about jesus wherever you are today he's going to come all the way to where you are and then he's going to ask you to believe be encouraged this morning now why is this necessary because we are broken people we need help believing we're not and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're not morally and spiritual neutral that if we hear the gospel, if we hear things, we'll just believe. We need help believing. And Jesus meets us in this place of brokenness. We do not simply read the evidence, we read the scriptures and we believe. We need a spiritual push, many times, so that we believe. Now. Now that we've seen the power of miracles, and we'll look at this again, but their ability to help us believe, let's look at the process of these miracles. The power, now the process. The first thing we see that stands out to me in this passage is the delay. There's a delay. Now, look at this. There's multiple delays in this story. The first is Jesus is in Galilee, and all of a sudden his ministry is popping. People are running to the water to get baptized. Jesus is actually baptizing so many people that he can't do it all. He's got to delegate the authority. He's like, all right, disciples, you do the baptizing because there's too many. People are standing in line for days. We've got to hurry this up. And the Pharisees hear that he's baptizing more people than John. The momentum is swinging. You can see the disciples. They're like, boy, we were like struggling, but now we're like rolling. And even John's disciples, man, we're, we're the biggest ministry in town. That's what's happening. They're the biggest ministry in town. And what does Jesus do? All right, boys, time to, time to leave. No, 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 no. Y'all, y'all have ever seen a basketball game or a football game and you feel the momentum rising? I was watching a game last night and I'm like, oh, it could be. And I feel that momentum. It was rising. The, the coach doesn't go, time out. I feel this momentum, guys. Let's slow this down. Fake an injury. You know, we got to slow this down. You never see a basketball team just hitting threes. They're like, time out, let's talk about this. Why is this happening? No, they're like, man, keep it going. Don't do anything different. And here's Jesus. No, we're going to stop this. Why? We're going to delay the move of. Why did he do that? And look, it's real funny what he says. He says, he goes to his hometown where he won't be received with honor. Think about that. Jesus goes to the place he knows the soil is the least fertile. Why would he do that? Because he knew his disciples weren't ready to step into and see what they were about to experience. I need some more time. I need to delay this momentum. I need to delay this miracle of the kingdom for a season so that I can develop these disciples in a place where things will run like wildfire. Interesting. And this is what's amazing about this kind of, when we're looking at these process, not as a, as a recipe, but as a description of this miracle. And here's what's awesome. God never wastes a delay when you're believing for a miracle. He never wastes a delay. Can you, I know some of us in here, we're believing for miracles. We want something to happen. But you know what, what God's going to do? He's going to do something in you in the process of you waiting. And it might be the very thing that, that's more important than the miracle itself. He never wastes a delay. You're, the, the other thing we see here is that they didn't just delay, but there was a delay in Jesus addressing this man. He comes to, this man comes, look, my son's dying. I need you to come with me to Capernaum, a, a, a day's journey, a 20-mile walk to heal my son. And what does Jesus say? You guys, y'all, won't believe unless you see signs and what. And his, he's. You saw him, right? He's like, "Excuse me, before my son dies, could you get down to Capernaum?" That's what he, ad- he addresses Jesus. Jesus is delaying the miracle to address the crowd. What does that speak to us today? That sometimes our miracle isn't just about us. People are watching how we will respond in the waiting. We want it to be happen like this. Come on, Jesus. All right, you see this guy right here? He's a picture of all of you. You won't believe unless I, can you come please? So here's the thing. Your miracle isn't just about you. It's about those around you, watching you in the waiting to see how you'll respond. Maybe you're in a delay period this morning for a miracle you're believing God for. Perhaps God is trying to develop something in you. Many times, we have heard people, I've heard this many times, who say, I don't regret the waiting because God did something in me in the process. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. I know my own life, when I needed a breakthrough from God, it was in the process and in the waiting of the breakthrough that God developed empathy in me. In fact, He developed revelation and insight in me that now helps me take others through the waiting. We want the miracle. God wants the miracle of rebirth inside of us in the process. Amen? Amen. Amen. Second thing we see here, the part of this process, is that there was desperation. The man was desperate for a miracle. Few things will make a parent more desperate than their child in suffering. Amen? And here he is. The man was desperate. Son on his deathbed, 20-mile journey one way. I just took a journey with my son to uh, Orlando for a conference. That's a day's journey. It's a long drive. But at least I didn't have to walk it, right? You know how many steps? Y'all know there's some step counters, right? Right, right, I'm on, what am I on? 64, not Not that many steps today, all right? <laughs> so here, here's the, there's 45,000 steps for this journey in one day. And man's desperate, I'm gonna walk it because my son needs a miracle. I have a newsflash for you today. We are in no less need of miracles in the West today than we are all over the world. We hear these miracles that happen in Costa Rica, in the DR. We hear miracles happening all the time, all over the world. And one thing I hear from missionaries the biggest difference between there and here is they're desperate for it. They want a miracle. They don't want it, they need it. And let me encourage us this morning, maybe exhort us this morning. We're in no less need of miracles. We need a miracle in this nation. We need it. What makes you desperate today? In this case, it was the love of a son in need. If we have an emergency mentality that we only seek God when we need something, we'll find ourselves in need on a consistent basis, in real need. But if we let the needs around us push us to God, what about the needs of those around you today? Do they, do they affect you? Does the desperation of those in our city make you desperate? Or have we isolated ourselves from those who really need help? We do that, don't we? We find out where the needs are and then we move away so we can be comfortable so we can be, feel better. We don't like to be in a place of need. Does the ideological darkness on our high schools and our campuses make us desperate? It should. I'm gonna tell you right now, you walk on the campus, you read the ideological theories in the way we're living and raising our children, we should be desperate for God to move. What about the mental health crisis among young people and their lack of resiliency? Does that make us desperate? Single moms and generational poverty, lack of spiritual power in our own personal lives, or lack of spiritual fruit in ourselves, our homes, and our life groups? Does that make us desperate? What about the condition of the church? Not just this church, but all over America, all over the West. Do we see the desperate need for a move of God? If you think a political shift in power is what this nation needs, you are sadly deceived. Only a move of God will do what we're longing in our hearts for God to do. We must be desperate. I'm concerned that some of us in this room are in a desperate situation and they don't even know it. The third kind of part of this story that stands out is the disappointment. This man walks 20 miles and Jesus ignores his first request, uses him as an object lesson. (laughs) You see this man, he's desperate in need, like all of you. Could you come on before my son dies? That's literally what he says. Could you hurry up before he dies? There's disappointment there. What happens when Jesus doesn't do what you think he should do? Right? I prayed this, God, and you didn't do it. How do we react? I love the story in the Old Testament. There was a, a story of a man named Naaman. He was a, a war general and. He had come down with leprosy, and it's interesting because his slave girl in his home, who's an Israelite, says to him, hey, if you were in Israel, you could go down and see Elijah and he'd heal you, Elisha. And so he says, okay, I'm going to load my camels, and I'm going to run down, and all my wealth, it's amazing what we'll do when we want to live. We'll empty the bank account just to give us a couple more years. And here's Naaman going down to Elisha's house and he comes to Elisha, he knocks on the door and Elisha sees him at the door. And you know what he says? He sends his servant, Gehazi, and says, tell him to go dip seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman leaves furious. Doesn't he know who I am? I thought surely he would come to the door, wave his hand, and I would be healed. And he wants me to go dip in this dirty river seven times. And he walks away, He's upset. God didn't do what he expected him to do and he was disappointed. And there it is, another servant comes up and talks Naaman into it. He says, Naaman, if he told you to do something crazy, you do it. But this simple thing, just do it. So he does it and he gets healed. What's the point? Sometimes God doesn't operate how we think he should operate. Come down and heal my son. And he goes, I ain't going. But you can go and he'll be healed, right? And so what do we do with our disappointment? What do we do with our disappointment? It's clear here. Jesus never does, if Jesus never does another miracle, and he surely will, he's done enough to prove his goodness, his love, and his compassion. Amen. He became flesh. He left power, comfort, and control to step into our world and suffer and die in our place. If that's all he ever did, that's enough. It proves his goodness. It proves someone worthy of my disappointment, worthy of my questions, worthy of the mysteries that I don't understand because he loved us enough to die for us. This is a God we can trust, amen? Next we see not just our disappointment, but there's a decision. This is what it said, and I quote, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He believed the word. One version says it this way. I like it. The man took Jesus at his word. Do you take Jesus at his word this morning? See, faith is a decision. It's an act of the will to believe. Faith is not a feeling. And I'll give you an example in, in another area. Let's talk about forgiveness. We know that if we hold on to offense and bitterness, it'll destroy us and we do it anyway. Right, And so what we do in, in our victory weekends and help people walk in victory and experience breakthrough, and, and that bitterness doesn't just have an effect in one area. It really grows like a vine and touches multiple areas from our physical body to other relationships. If we don't let it go, it'll destroy us. The Bible calls it a, a root of bitterness. I was yanking out vines the other day, cutting these bushes and trimming these things, and these, these vines were growing up And they were covering these bushes and causing them susceptibility to other diseases. And that's the power of bitterness. And so we know we're supposed to forgive. But see, what we do is we want to wait until we feel like forgiving to forgive. And let me help you. If you wait till you feel like forgiving, you'll never forgive. Because forgiveness isn't a feeling. We don't forgive because we're supposed to forgive. We forgive because Jesus... The high king of heaven has forgiven us for our treason and our rebellion. He has come to us and said, you, here's my ways, here's my law, here's what I say about my creation, and we have gone our own way, and he has forgiven us. And when we see that forgiveness, then we say, how could I hold on to a grudge for something somebody does to us? And we have to choose to forgive. We don't feel it. That's Okay. Because forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's an act of the will. And sometimes it's a consistent daily act of the will until we feel it. And that might be days, months, years, amen? Anyone who's ever done that knows it doesn't just, oh, I just feel so much better. No, every time I see that person, okay, Lord, I I forgive them, not because they deserve it, not because they weren't really wrong, not because they asked, because sometimes they never will. Because you've forgiven me, I'm gonna extend that forgiveness to them and I'm gonna put them in your hands. And then we experience, right? And so faith is the same way we choose to believe. It's a choice. Your son will live. All right, let's go on home. I got what I needed. That's all I needed. He said it was gonna happen. I'm gonna leave. Faith is a decision. It's taking God at his word. You might feel shame or guilt today. You might wake up tomorrow morning and feel unloved. Here's the reality. Jesus loves you. He said, if you confess your sins, I'll forgive you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. These are promises that God's declared about you. He said that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. He says that he'll redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. What is he asking us to do? He's asking us to choose to believe that's true over how what we see and what we feel. That's the power of faith. This man didn't know his son was healed. He took God at his word. And in the journey of faith, the word came and met him. This morning... Our temptation is going to be wait until we see to believe or wait till we feel to believe. But will we take God at his word? This is why getting in this Bible is so important because you cannot believe what you have not heard. You cannot be convinced of unless someone imparts that to you. And let me encourage you today, you are loved so much so that God would suffer for you. God would suffer for you. Believe it and watch the power of that transform us. Amen? Amen? We finally look at this last point in this passage. is that We might be tempted, and that's the deliverance. So the decision and now the deliverance. We might be t- tempted to look at this passage and try to find a recipe, right? Put a little delay in. That's uh, three tablespoons of delay. All right, get that. Some desperation. Okay, let me. Ah. Ah. Watch a sad movie. Try to get those those tears. All right, I think I'm desperate enough. Somebody come out and punch me. Let me feel some pain. Yeah, okay, I'm really desperate now. Ah. Right? No, this is not a recipe. Okay? And we might be tempted to misread this passage in here. Listen, this is what we hear. Unless you believe, you will not see signs and wonders. That is not what it says. This is what it says. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Are we getting that? I don't think we do. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus is saying, he ain't even done the miracle yet. He's saying the point of the miracle is, It's not the miracle. The point of the miracle is that you would see the God of the miracle who walks with you. You don't need the miracle. You need the God of the miracle. Miracles will not save your soul. They only witness to the character and the power of God so that you will believe in the one who can save your soul. I have seen and been in the room in the most remarkable miracles that I've ever heard about. I've been in the room and watched the person that that's happened to. I mean, if I told you what it was, you'd say, that's a miracle. In the room. The person that happened to a year later is in the psych ward on suicide watch. We're talking about I'm talking about biblical, gospel, in here kind of miracles. This person experienced that. That wasn't enough. Because they wanted a miracle, or because they experienced a miracle, they thought the miracle would save Miracles don't save you. Faith in Christ alone will save you. The miracles declare the goodness of God. We don't need, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe, but then you have to believe. You've got to believe that God is good, that he saves you, that he loves you, and that his power will work out of you. And so the point of the miracles is that you would see Jesus, the sign of the miracle working God. The greatest miracle here, unless you see signs and wonders, you what's the point of all this? That you would believe in faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Because the culmination of the story is this not that the boy got healed. That is not the culmination of the story. The culmination of the story is, and that he believed, he and his whole household. The point of the miracle was that he would see Jesus and say, I trust you with my whole life. Now, we love to trust God with what's broken. We love, we want Jesus to take away how we feel when we feel down. We love Jesus to to intervene in our finances when we need help. We love Jesus to help us, but do we want Jesus to step into every area of our lives? He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of all. And he wants us to trust him with everything, our future, our finances, our sexuality. Everything of who we are, our feelings and our emotions, do, will we believe him with the, for those things? Or will we just believe him when we need help? And here's the point. The deliverance God takes. And this, I used to, the greatest miracle is salvation itself. And I used to hear preachers say that and I'd be like, okay, that's good. I'd really like to see this cripple walk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, salvation is great, but can we see the blind see? But here's the reality: I've sat down, like I said, with people who've had those miracles, and their lives not changed. And then I've seen crusty, religious, hate-filled people see Jesus, and their whole trajectory of their life shift. It's a miracle. It's inside out. And that faith in Jesus to such something to us that those around us say, Dad, you're different. The whole household got saved. Did you see that? One miracle, one man's faith, he believed, but everybody around said, you're changed, Dad. That was the most comforting thing when I got right with God is that I ran into high school friends and be like, you're not bleepity bleep anymore. <laughs> you're not If you feel in the, you're not a jerk, whatever, fill in the expletives. You're not like that. Praise God. Because I thought I was right with God. And then I met Jesus, and then he changed everything. That's the power of the gospel. He himself believed in all of his household. Ephesians 2 says this It is by grace you have been saved, it is a gift of God. Through faith, which means this, through the doorway of faith and trust, you experience the grace that saves your soul. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not according to work so that no one can boast. It is through the doorway of faith that you will be saved. Did you experience the grace of God? Saved from hell? Yes. Eternal torment? Yes. But saved from your sin and your addiction. Saved from the shackles of your shame. Saved from the generational patterns that have followed you through generations. Saved through mental health issues and bondage. Saved from spiritual darkness and bitterness. Saved from sexual brokenness and deceit. It is faith in a loving God and the death and resurrection of the Son of God that will save us. And this is the point. Miracles point us to a saving God who don't just meet our needs, but change us from the inside out. There's delays, but God won't waste it. There's desperation and there should be if there's not, walk around this city and talk to people who don't look like you and walk in your circles and you don't think we need God to inter- intervene. There's desperation. And then there's deliverance. If we'll believe in Jesus, if we'll trust him with our lives, everything changes. We need miracles. I know we need miracles. We get prayer requests all the time. We need physical miracles. We need mental miracles. We need psychological miracles. We need financial miracles. We need miracles. But if they don't point us to Jesus, we're going to fall short of the point of the miracles in the first place. Amen? Let's stand on our feet as we pray. Father, thank you this morning that you're not just... You're not just the God of miracles, Lord, but you're the God of salvation. You're the God of love. You're the God of patience. You're the God who who will leave Judea to go all the way to Galilee so that we might meet you. You'll leave heaven and you'll come all the way to earth so that we might know you. Lord, you want an intimate relationship with us this morning. We're doing a series on miracles because I believe God wants to pour out miracles in our midst. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you need a miracle today, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray for that. All over this room. Jesus, we come to you, the giver of good gifts, who died on the cross and rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, I'm asking you that you will break into this place and meet every hand where they are and help them with miracle power, Lord. If it's healing, heal them. If it's mental and psychological issues, Lord, heal them. Lord, if it's financial, bring the blessing, Lord. Lord, if it's relational, bring the power of reconciliation, Lord. Lord, if it's neighborhoods and cultures and systematic brokenness, Lord. We pray for healing and miracles, God. Lord, may we be a part of what you want to do in this city. Jesus, help us not limit you. Help us not create such a small bubble that we can't be a part of what you're doing on a grand scale. We're asking for your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you're in here this morning and you're not sure that you've trusted Christ with your whole life and you want to do that this morning, I want to give you a chance to respond. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. If you're ready to trust Christ alone this morning with your life, raise your hand. I want to pray. Father, I lift up these people to you. Lord, I ask that you'd meet them right where they are. With your own mouth, the Bible says, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right where you are, just make an altar to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you with my future. I surrender to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? As we close, I want you to turn around and greet someone before you leave. But if you need prayer, you want someone to stand with you for something. We're going to leave the altars open. We've got some of our prayer leaders down here that we want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah. Hold on one second. We got a testimony. There you go.
1: Okay. Can y'all hear me? Okay. I was sitting over there and I felt like uh, Erica said last Sunday, like I literally my heart's about to pound out of my chest. Like The Holy Spirit was like, get up and get out of your freaking chair and go on stage. So here I am. Um, but I just wanted to share. Blake's message just really spoke to me. Um, so some of you, we've been in this church. I'm um, Lindsay Brown. I should introduce myself. Um, and my husband, Corey, we've been here for 18 years, y'all. Holy crap. Um, and we've been in this church for a long time. We've led Life Group. And um, years ago, so we have uh, three daughters. They are 10, 12, and 14. And our 12-year-old, around the time she was, I guess, around 6, maybe 5, um and hopefully she won't mind me sharing this. Her name is Georgia, and our sweet Georgia Brown is what we call her. And she started having night terrors, um, and they kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and we had she had night terrors for almost two years. Um, and when I say night terrors, like y'all, it was just straight up Satan. It was demonic. She would be kicking and screaming and fighting in her sleep. And um, Corey and I would rotate who would get up with her, um, because sometimes it was all night long, and it was, you know, in talking about desperation, we were desperate, y'all, like the, and the delay, <laughs> talk about two years in, we were, it was this delay, and we were like, we had done everything, I'm telling you, we had we had anointed her with oil, we had anointed the door frames with oil, we had had our life group come in and pray for our house, we had had the pastors pray for her, literally everything um, that we could possibly think about doing, and still here we were fighting, and about two years in we were here for um actually jim critcher if you've been with our church for a long time he was here and he was prophesying and he actually prophesied over corey and i um that night and he looked directly at us and he said you've been in a battle for your middle child and y'all i just fell apart because it had been a long long battle and we felt so alone in it and i'll be honest the enemy had said to me that like i was a bad mom that I was doing something wrong. Just so much doubt. Yeah. And he said, the Lord wants you to know that he has a special calling on her life and the enemy is trying to interfere. And I wish I could tell you that we went home and the night terror stopped. That would be like, you know, the, the big story, but it, it didn't. But we had something from that moment forward. Okay, Lord, we've, we've got this and we're going to cover this girl. And what I was reminded as time went on, it probably took almost a year and a half to two more years before she was completely free of mm-hmm. night terrors. And I can stand here and say, this child does not have night terrors anymore. But what the Lord showed me in that is the foundation that was built the, in the waiting, in the desperation yeah. that was built in this child. The amount of scripture that we taught her and that she memorized the amount of prayer that we covered her in. And I have no idea what he's going to do with this girl. If you've ever met our Georgia Brown, you know she is a special child. So are other two. But just she's just got, there's something about Georgia. Everybody knows Georgia. and But I was just reminded that she's got this foundation now. And it is not going to fail her. And whatever she's going to do with her life, it might have been that hardship. And the amount, um, you know, the time that we had to go through that to get her wherever she's going. So anyway, I just wanted to just share that because I know that some people in this room have been praying yeah. and believing yeah. for a really long time. Good. And I just want to say that that miracle might come in a moment and it might come over a long time. Yeah. And it literally was like two years, you know, cause occasionally she'd have a break. Like she'd have a couple of nights where she'd sleep and we're like, oh, this is it. This is going to be it. And then she'd have another one. And so it took us a while. And then all of a sudden we were like, she's not waking up. She hasn't woken up in like a month. And it just kept going and going and going. And so, anyway, just wanted to encourage you guys this morning just to keep believing God is faithful and uh, He is good Amen. in the midst of the challenge. So, Amen. Anyway, there
0: you That's go. awesome. So good. It was so interesting about this passage. The Bible doesn't say that at that hour the Son was better, it said He began to get better. Sometimes God will heal in a moment, and sometimes God will start the process. Amen. What a great testimony. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Go in God this week. Be expectant what he might want to do around you and through you. Amen. Altars are open if you need prayer. We'll see you next week.